Yo, today's QOD is shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Here we go. Welcome back to the Quarter of the Day Show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. We got Brene Brown on the show today. She's going to cover an incredibly important topic, which is the difference between shame and guilt. She's also going to talk about what it means when we blame. Brene Brown, she's coming up. To really understand shame... We have to understand the difference between shame and the other self-conscious affects or the self-conscious emotions, shame, guilt, humiliation, and embarrassment. These, this is really important. Shame, I am bad. Guilt, I did something bad. And if you've heard me say this before, it's because I've said it every time I've ever talked about shame because there's no other way to explain it. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. The simplest example I can give you is from an academic article that Rhonda Deering and June Taney did on shame and addiction. You get to work late on a Friday because you're so hungover from getting drunk the night before on Thursday night. You're late enough on Friday that you miss a very important client meeting. And your self-talk is, I am such an idiot. I am a total loser. I'm a soccer. I'm a, I'm a loser. Shame or guilt. Shame, focus on self. I'm a loser. I'm an idiot. Same scenario, but you get to work and this time your self-talk is, I can't believe I did that. That was a really stupid thing to do. Shame or guilt? Guilt, the focus is on behavior, not self. So why is this important? This is critically, there's nothing, I'm not going to say anything more important than this in our time together, for sure. (laughs) This is it. Because shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, suicide, bullying, aggression, violence, eating disorders. And if that doesn't get your attention enough, guilt is inversely correlated with those outcomes. Meaning the more guilt you're able to use and the more you're able to focus on behavior rather than self, the less likely it is that you'll experience those outcomes. In fact, shame and addiction are so intimately correlated, we don't even know where one starts and the other begins. We don't have a temporal understanding of it. You know, Did you start self-medicating because you were full of shame? Are you full of shame because you're self-medicating? We don't even know. We just know it's the perfect storm. There's a great quote by Terrence Reel, who wrote Men in the Myth of Male Depression, the title of the book is I Don't Want to Talk About It. He has some incredible work on marriage and partnerships. He has a quote that says, an addict needs shame like a man dying of thirst needs salt water. Isn't that powerful? Because think about it. Think about if I was, you know, if this was the ocean in front of me and I'm dying of thirst, how it makes so much sense that what I, you know, just drink. But it'll kill me, right? Shame kills people who are struggling with addiction. It's why often I think they're struggling with addiction. Guilt, as it turns out in the research, appears to be a protective factor against addiction. I mean, so if you're sitting in here and you're a parent... What you should be thinking, what I would, you know, that's why 
I'm trying to think of a better way, like no shoulds, but what I urge you to think, uh, what I invite you to think, or what you should be thinking is, um, that's kind of Texas style for these talks. Um, what you should be hell-bent for leather on thinking is this, guilt, good. Guilt, productive. Guilt, adaptive. Shame, extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Another way that I really like to drive this home is if y'all did something, if you individually did something that hurt my feelings, let me see a show of hands. How many of you would be willing to apologize for making a mistake? So every hand goes up. That's guilt, healthy, adaptive. Guilt is, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. A significant difference between shame and guilt. So what's interesting about this is that we can measure shame and guilt in people, um, even children. Tangney and Deering came up with an incredible instrument called the Tosca. It's a measurement of self-conscious affect. And it's a scenarios-based instrument that you go through scenarios and you pick how you would respond to something. <laughs> I'm laughing because one of kind of the throwaway responses to make sure that it's a valid and reliable instrument is blame. <laughs> Um, and like, hi, my name's Brene, I'm a total blamer. Um, I am a blamer. So let's talk about blame for a minute because it's important as we go into shame and guilt. Blame is simply defined in the research as the discharging of pain and discomfort. That's it. We blame when we're uncomfortable or when we're in pain, right? So let me give you an example. My husband plays, this always needs a, a huge explanation, underwater hockey. Um, <laughs> he does. Um, he's an ex, we're both ex-competitive swimmers. He's also an ex-competitive water polo player. And so a lot of those people play underwater hockey. If you're from California, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's actually, there's a puck and a stick and you're underwater. You're in an 11 foot water polo pool and the puck's on the bottom of the pool. And yeah, so. So he's going to practice. I know you're thinking, I see you shaking your head. Like what the hell is she talking? Are there horses involved? No. Um, like... <laughs> You have fins and a mask and you're under there shooting and you come up for breath as, as often as you need to and you try to get the puck in the other person's goal. Uh, it's a very endurance swimmer kind of fun sport, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's hell on the audience though because anyway, it's like, it's 11 feet deep. Um, so he plays underwater hockey. So he's going to go play underwater hockey one night. And I said, make sure you're back by 10 because I'm really tired and I don't go to sleep well until he gets home. So the next morning, Steve's at work. The kids are at school. I'm home by myself. I'm drinking coffee. I'm getting ready to go teach at U of H. I have on white pants, pink cardigan. I remember exactly what I had on. And I've got a Pottery Barn mug full of coffee. And I drop it. And it hits the tile floor in my kitchen. Coffee goes all over my pants, all over everything. It breaks into a million shards of glass. And my first response is, damn you, Steve. <laughs> um, and this is the part where if you're here with a male partner, they'll feel quite vindicated during this story. Um, so my first response is, damn you, Steve. Because here's my thought. He was late. I didn't go to bed until like 10.30. Ergo, my extra cup of coffee. And it's his fault that this happened. Because had he not come home, look, and you're shaking your head. Like, how many of you actually follow that train of thought and believe that's accurate? Okay, right. For those of you listening and laughing, there's a lot of people who believe I'm right. Um, 
In fact, it was 100%, including all the men. No. <laughs> okay, so that's my thinking. And like within a millisecond, I go from, damn it, Steve, because I'm uncomfortable. And we blame to discharge anger, discomfort. That's all blame is. It has no adaptive function at all. And in fact, Steve called while I was cleaning up in my underwear because my white pants are off. And of course he calls and I'm like, hey. He's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm cleaning up coffee. What are you doing? He's like, cleaning up coffee. I'm like, yeah, I'm cleaning up coffee because I dropped coffee in the kitchen. And guess why I dropped coffee in the kitchen? Anyway, all you hear is dial tone. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, uh-uh. So blame is the discharging of discomfort. Okay, that's it. So when you take the Tosca, it has answers. So let me give you a scenario. One of the scenarios on the Tosca is that you're at a party. You're alone in a room. The hostess has white carpet, and you drop your glass of red wine. <laughs> Collective, ooh. Um, do you, no one sees you. So do you. <laughs> Eruptions of nervous laughter. You can tell the truth. It's just us and a couple thousand folks. Um, do you go find the hostess, offer to clean it up and pay for it if she can't get it up? Do you realize that no one sees you and kind of sneak out thinking, God, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did this. Or <laughs> do you think, well, screw this. Who serves red wine when they have white carpet? <laughs> Which is the blame scenario. So if you're being honest while you're taking this instrument, it's not like, it's not where you would eventually get to because I am like a hyper accountable person. So like I would take, I would feel some kind of value and pride in going, I spilled red wine, I'm coming to tell you, you know, like, so I would ultimately do that. But my very first thought would be like, screw you for serving red wine. <laughs> if you didn't want it on your white carpet. Well, and who gets white carpet? <laughs> you know, that would, my blame would be my first thing. How many of you are blamers, honestly? Show of hands. My people. Okay, that's good. So in the Tosca, you can take this, and we can tell based on you know, how you answer these, whether you're shame-prone or guilt-prone, or whether you use blame a lot. Um, and they're kind of weeding that out of the Tosca, I think, as we speak. So we can measure that. And that's how we know about the correlations between violence, aggression, depression. I mean, some of the highest levels of shame proneness that we see are in violent criminals who are imprisoned, incarcerated. And so the important part about this is this. I always get questions, and more so even now than when I started 10 years ago, isn't shame a good compass for moral behavior? Shouldn't we feel ashamed? Let me tell you the big debate that's going on right now, the huge debate. In fact, there was a, what's the big paper in the UK, The Guardian? There was an article in The Guardian yesterday. I know because I have a shame Google alert. Um, <laughs> that basically said, we should be publicly shaming obese people. Because, and then what the guy wrote in the article is someone, you know, I, you know, he says, I was a fat slob until someone shamed me and then I got on a treadmill and lost weight and that's what we should be doing because we shouldn't be footing the bill for people who are struggling with obesity. And if you have seen some of the national campaigns 
national public health campaigns featuring obese children with taglines that say things like, it's fun to be a little girl, but I'm not so little. Or no starts in the buffet line and at home. And so there is a, a huge debate in our culture right now about whether we should be using shame to deal with public health issues. And the answer is no. I don't care how good it makes us feel. I don't care if we see someone that commits some kind of atrocity against the public or hurts someone and it feels good to see them shamed and belittled. Good, that's good. That's the dark side of human nature. There's nothing we can do about that. What I'm telling you as a researcher and 50 years of data, not just mine, there is not a single drop of empirical evidence that shows us that shame is a good way to change behavior. You shame someone for their behavior. What do you think they do? They engage in it even more. What do you think? You shame me about my weight. What do you think I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be visiting Ben and Jerry. You know, I'm going to be in my pantry with a tub of peanut butter. What do we see happening right now in the culture? The mommy wars. Right? Let me just give you this very exacting opinion from me. You cannot claim to care about children and shame mothers for the choices they're making. Period. Period. If you want to breastfeed your kids until they're six, right on. You do it. But if while you're doing that, you're shaming mothers who are bottle feeding their newborns, that's not helpful. And if you want to bottle feed your newborn and then, you know, call moms who are breastfeeding until their kids are, you know, older, hippies and weirdos, you can, but you're shaming people and you're going to be raising judgmental children. You know, that's just the evidence. Does that make sense? Okay. Look, I got kind of sweaty talking about that. Like a very important. <laughs> so shame and guilt, hugely different. Shame does not move behavior forward. It is not a catalyst for meaningful, lasting change. Guilt is. Guilt is adaptive. Guilt is cognitive dissonance. Guilt is holding something we've done up against who we want to be. And it's uncomfortable. And that's okay. But guilt is not about who we are. It's about behavior. Does that make sense? That was Brene Brown. Her website is brenebrown.com. You can check out today's entire talk on an audio program. You can find at audible.com called The Power of Vulnerability. All right, my friend, follow me on Instagram. If you want to hear ad-free episodes, go to your app store, download the Stitcher app and join Stitcher Premium. You can listen to QOD 100% commercial free for as little as $2.99 a month. No more commercials. I'll see you tomorrow. Who we got tomorrow? We got a... Les Brown on the show tomorrow. We'll see you then. Peace.